Hi, everybody, and welcome to How Music Charts, the podcast where we explore the dance between interpreting data and making creative decisions in the music business every day. I'm your co-host, Jason, and you'll hear from our co-host, Rutger, very, very soon. This podcast is owned and operated by Chartmetric, a music data company that connects numbers to narratives to help professionals leverage the power of music. Any opinions or views expressed by our guests or the co-hosts on this podcast are his or hers alone and do not in any way constitute the opinions or views of any company he or she works for. To preserve a tone of earnest dialogue and protect our guests, we will refrain from using names of any kind, personal, company, or otherwise, unless our guests have granted us explicit permission to do so. Call Me Ace is a rapper who straddles a unique line between artistry and the corporate grind. Born a Jamaican emigre in Bridgeport, Connecticut in 1989, Ace found himself studying anthropology at Columbia University in New York City 18 years later. At Columbia, he was the co-founder and president of the Columbia University Society of Hip Hop, but after graduating in 2011, he turned to education, working as an operations analyst at Success Academy charter schools in New York City before setting his sights on business school. In 2016, Ace graduated with an MBA from UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business, releasing his first EP, Misinterpretation interpretations the same year. As he transitioned from consulting at Deloitte to marketing at Facebook, he continued to release more music that explored his creative and business-minded personas, eventually hitting the Billboard charts with his March 2019 album, Airplane Mode. Today, Ace works on the creator and artist development team at YouTube as a global program manager for music label partnerships, and he just released his new EP, Working From Home. So without further ado, please welcome to the How Music Charts podcast, Call Me Ace. So let's start from the beginning. Why did your parents emigrate from Jamaica to Bridgeport, Connecticut? And do you have strong a strong connection with Jamaica or strong roots there still? No, it's a, it's a fair question. So I feel like um, as with most immigrants, um, you know, seeking a, a better life, um, uh, there's this this image. I remember growing up, my mom used to tell me that she used to imagine uh, the U.S. or America as like this place with like gold brick roads. You know what I mean? This sense of like you could really achieve and get whatever you want um, here, especially versus Jamaica, where you know my family was coming from uh, an impoverished background. Not much really changed when I grew up, at least, but. Um, you know, my my dad uh, went from Jamaica to Miami, and um, from Florida up made his way up to Connecticut. My mom, she immigrated when she was uh, a much younger child. Through um, her mom went before her, uh, her parents went before her, and she kind of got sent up around her earlier years and went from New York to uh, Connecticut, and so you know, Miami, New York, kind of like the hot spots for a lot of Jamaicans and Caribbeans. But, mm -hmm. you know, growing up, even though I have older brothers and sisters that were born in Jamaica, I was the first one um, on my dad's side that was born in the U.S. And on my mom's side, uh, my oldest sister, uh, she was born in the U.S. as well. But, I mean, we were, uh, I mean, we were raised in a Jamaican household. And so as far as like, what we ate, what we listened to, how we spoke, um, what we what we were kind of attuned to. Um, indoors, at least, it was very Jamaican. And then realizing, like, I don't know when it really clicked. Uh, for me, kind of this perception that, like, I was also American. You know what I mean? Like, it, 
didn't really it wasn't a thing for me to kind of assume either or until maybe i don't know like fifth fourth grade fourth or fifth grade um actually when i went to middle school to this uh private school that's like 15 minutes away where like Martha Stewart lives and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, that's when I was like drastically uh, given the um, the distinction of like, oh, you know, it's like white or black kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from there, that's when like really starting to identify a lot with like, you know, U.S. black population struggles and, and all that kind of stuff. But even growing up in the hood, it was just like, yeah, you know, like Jamaican and maybe you're Haitian, maybe you're you're black or whatever, but like it wasn't even really much of a distinction. It was just kind of like, you know, this is this is life, <laughs> you know what I mean? And we're all we're all struggling and and where we are. Um but once I started getting exposed to things outside of Bridgeport, that's when it really hit like, oh, like you know, we all look like a quote-unquote inferior people to some people, right? Or um, really being confronted with a lot of negativity towards, um, you know, people that looked like me and then going to college, learning like the distinction between like, oh, there's some people that are like, oh, I'm African only and I'm not black. And, you know, there's some folks that like really, you know, I'm Caribbean and not black. And then it was just like, oh, snap, like there's even like separation (laughs) among us. Like it just like over time. Right. And, you know, you just think about all these labels and it's like, what does it really mean? Uh, That's a whole, as you can see, I studied anthropology in college. So like (laughs) talk about cultures and subcultures all the time. But uh, I even wrote a paper about like, what does it mean to be Jamaican, especially when you were like born in America, like that whole thing. But yeah, no. So, I mean, as far as like, you know, my background and how it influenced me, I mean, it definitely comes out in, in various ways, whether it's like lyrically, um, even certain uh, sound choices. Uh, I, I just have like a, a more or less eclectic music background in general. And so I'll, I'll leverage a lot of those influences in the music and, and the style of how I rap and stuff like that. And then also, yeah, just like, you know, DJ Cool Her, Biggie Smalls, like we, we got Jamaicans in rap music too. So it's like, I feel like the style of, of Jamaica kind of like infuses in the way we even think about how hip hop started and how it kind of is now. So mm-hmm. it's, it's all over the place for me, at least. <laughs> so what you mentioned that you studied anthropology at Columbia, what went into that decision? Like what made you say, yeah, hey, this is what I want to do. Yeah. So it started when um, first getting into Columbia and that being a, a big deal for my family and me not really knowing what that meant, but just knowing that my family, you know, they wanted me to be like a businessman. And so I did economics my first semester, got a D and I was like, all right, well, that's, that's that. Like I might as well just drop out now. This is going so great, but uh, kind of like finessed my way into, I don't know. It was like my second semester. We, what was it? You were like required to take a creative writing class and from that creative writing class, I realized like, oh, like I can write papers. I think I wrote about like uh, Tupac and masculinity. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. using Dear Mama as my my <laughs> thing. And uh, I was like, oh, snap, I could get an A off this kind of stuff. So then I was like, <laughs> let me do everything in my power <laughs> to reverse the D by finding classes like this. And, you know, one thing led to another and anthropology came about and it was like, 
let's study culture. Let's study, you know, how people interact with each other and um, how people use certain things to find meaning in groups and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, fam, this is this is easy to me. <laughs> so that's, that's honestly what it really was when it comes down to it. Um, when I think about how just even that choice, right? Like marketing, you think of eth- ethnographic studies and stuff like that. Like I was learning that stuff in anthropology. I had no idea that like anthropology would be like a, uh, a desired trait for marketing. You know what I mean? Like mm. I didn't think that far. I was just like, yo, how can I, you know, write about why black people love Chinese movies, like uh, <laughs> hip hop, Kung Fu movies, like why, yeah, yeah. you know, and use Wu-Tang Clan as my, <laughs> my trope. Like that was it. That was all I was trying to do. I was like, guys, I love Bruce Lee. Like I love Jackie Chan to this day, but yeah. why? And that's kind of like how I was getting my, my AIDS, taking mm. societies, taking Jamaican courses, et cetera. And then, you know, I learned that this is like, crazy how this is coming back right now but like in college like the the way that the credit system was it was like okay well if this is a four credit class it meets only once a week it's like two hours long or whatever so i'm like all my anthropology classes were four credits long so they met only one day a week classes so all my classes were on tuesday which meant as a college kid i had four day like six day (laughs) weekends you know what i mean if you include the actual weekends so i'm out here like Getting like these A's, not even using my brain and spending the rest of my time <laughs> doing a lot of foolish college things that we won't say on air. But that's like that was that was my mindset at the time. It worked out for better or for worse. Um, but that was you know kids don't 100% be like me. But you know find find something that like you don't like it wouldn't even feel like work for you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you're just able to do it without even trying. Um, and yeah, that. That's kind of my version of success. <laughs> <laughs> with with those like extended college weekends, were you pretty active music wise, or did that come later? Yeah, no. Nah, so, um, you know, I grew up in a in a pretty like uh, creative, artistic household. Uh, as far as like, you know, my uh, my mom would have me. We 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 were in like these acting troops growing up we were doing like these mini tours across connecticut and new york um was also doing like these talent shows and singing competitions and poetry contests and all that kind of stuff growing up music came as a as as a rapper even though we were like singing and stuff rapping came around like 15 years old just because uh or like 13 to 15 years old because uh poetry wasn't a cool thing for a middle school kid and so um the first like project that i did was actually with this group in my high school and we used we printed out cds and uh sold them and i think the profits went to this uh this radio station for the blind and so it ended up like all my community service hours were accomplished in that freshman year and from then i was like oh snap like this can actually be useful started making music in in high school doing my mixtapes so when i got into college i mean my reason for going to columbia not my reason but one of the desires for me to go to columbia was not because it was an ivy league school or anything like that but it's because it was in new york hot 97s in new york i wanted to be around (laughs) the scene like you know what i mean so again like where were my priorities and so all throughout college i was making music and i was you know, doing shows on campus, outside of campus, 
uh, dropping projects, um, you know, going on our radio station, starting to get like, I started the Columbia University Society of Hip Hop there with a couple other my classmates, um, which still exists today, which is pretty dope. Um, And yeah, it just started like growing around then. And I actually, I mean, I saw colleges like, okay, I have to do this to make other people proud. But like music for me was like, this is why I'm here. And um, that was definitely the big focus for me at that time. Mm. And was it a big deal for you to open for Snoop? Or was that just like a long list of, of big names? You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't a long list. There were a couple instances where like, you know, uh, who is who is popping around that time? Like, I think there was a, a show that I was going to do with Mims, a show I was going to do with Fabulous. Uh, both of those fell through. So those were like, oh, man, you know what I mean? Like start like starving college kid trying to make it no business savvy just heart and rhyme schemes um you know to have those moments like not come through i was like oh man you know what i mean but um shows were shows were happening so when the the snoop dog one came that was like the biggest show that i did even now to this moment you know mm. um but when that show happened that was also around the time that i was basically I was on the verge of stopping rapping. So after that show, I stopped rapping completely. But even before then, I was thinking I was like, "Yo, you know, do I even want to keep doing this?" Um, you know, a lot of crazy stuff happened uh, while I was in college and my last semester of senior year. You know, I, I basically was just like, "Yo, I don't, I'm not really feeling what I'm rapping about, how I'm rapping, the 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 vibes, all that kind of stuff." So. Even while that happened, it was a mo- it was a weird moment where like I'm on the stage, you know, thousands and thousands of people in front of me, and I'm just like, uh, I don't really like what I'm saying, so <laughs> I didn't pursue it anymore. That was the last show that I did for like four years. Mm. Um, graduated and you know it was written in the paper for it and all this kind of stuff, but I was like, mm, no. So it was a weird it was a weird feeling because while it was a, you know again a big moment and Snoop Dogg was. I like uh, full disclosure like my first favorite rapper like of all time, you know what I mean? So, uh, which being from the East coast would like get me beat up, but I would you know, <laughs> <laughs> snoop if you're listening, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> took, I took hits for you on the East, but, um, now nah, like it, it was a really big moment, but at the same time, it was just like, I don't want to be here right now. So it, it, I couldn't, I didn't absorb it as full as I, I feel like somebody would have if they were like, yo, this is like, now I'm going to use this and take it to do this thing next. And da, da, da. I was actually like, oh, well, that's a cool way to end the year. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so your brand is different now, I feel like, as an artist. But up to that point, were you kind of in your mindset on being like 100% artist? Like, yo, I, yeah, I'm going to Columbia, but like, I straight up just want to do this full time. Like, what was yeah. your mindset at that time? Man, my mindset was uh, Lauren Hill went to Columbia and then dropped out to do the Fugees, and I thought that was going to be me at some point. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. <laughs> and, then I, and then I graduated. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> whoops. Yeah, this, yeah this, <laughs> I'm really invested here. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that, that was my mind. And then by the time I graduated, I didn't even want to do music anymore, yeah, but I spent, yeah. I spent all my summers. I didn't realize that like my summers were meant for internships. I mm. thought my summers were meant for uh, 
activities that shall not be expressed on podcast <laughs> and making music. And so when I was like, oh, let me like get a job now, <laughs> like graduating from this Ivy League school and having no job, no money, no housing situation lined up for me, like... I like couldn't afford to even go back home. I was sleeping on my friend's floors, doing unpaid internships at the bottom of Manhattan in the music space, not even wanting to be in music anymore. But that was like the only thing I could do at the time. Mm. Uh, it was it was a wild uh, transition for sure. I think we've all been there. Quarter <laughs> <laughs> life crisis, man. Yeah, there's, there's. <laughs> so after that, you. I mean, you made something happen and you went to Berkeley's Haas School of Business. What did you study there exactly? And what went into that decision in the first place? Yeah. Um, so I studied marketing strategy and global management um, as as my specializations. Uh, how I ended up there, I mean, my the job that I got six months after graduating. Um, it was uh, at Success Academies, this uh, charter school out in New York. And my boss and my boss's boss both were MBA grads. And so uh, within my, my two and a half years there, you know, they were really grooming me, um, you know, through, through just how they manage their mentorship, et cetera. Uh, and then telling me about um, different ways in which I they saw me as like a potential business school candidate. Da, 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 da. They wrote my recommendation letters. The real impetus for even wanting to go to business school and like learn business because, you know, I'm in this nonprofit education space, but I'm on the operations side. So I'm on the non-instructional side, helping to streamline ordering processes, helping them grow at like a really exponential rate as far as opening up schools and things like that and working across various different functions from a cross-functional standpoint. Um, I went on this mission trip to uh, Medellin, Colombia with my church and uh, for two weeks really seeing how giving folks a vocation was uh, giving, you know, people this sense of purpose and, and dignity. Um, we were working with folks that were... Um, recovering drug addicts or uh, just recently imprisoned or, you know, um, uh, you know, victims of, of abuse of some sort. And so it was really like full restoration that we were doing for, for two weeks. And one of the important parts of it was um, empowering folks through the work of their hands. And so that was like the moment where I really saw businesses being like uh, just a, really essential, just like mm -hmm. in the fabric of, of life. You know what I mean? Like, I think we can, you know, business oftentimes, you know, kind of gets boiled down to like finances and consulting and this kind of stuff. But it's like, you know, at the real core, it's, it's, it's an exchange between people, you know, value to need and really seeing that at its basic core. I was like, yo, like I want to be able to understand the tools behind this so that way I can use these tools for good for the communities especially for the communities that need it so um that was the impetus um getting in there learned a lot met a lot of cool people got to travel a lot um and helped to really pivot me into what I'm doing right now so then you moved on to um 
consultancy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you released your first EP. W- was this a coincidence or is there some kind of like, I don't know, exchange relationship between um, your corporate experience and your art? I stopped making music, but then I started making music again, as, <laughs> as you can see. Um, so I, you know, I'm out, I'm out here trying to live my best not making music life uh, out in business school. Um, I studied abroad in, in Barcelona, um, and I figured out how to get all my classes to be on Monday and Tuesdays. This is kind of <laughs> like a theme of my life. <laughs> so... <laughs> And so Wednesdays to Sundays, I would just travel like the world. And it's like easy to do because it's Europe and everything's closed, but it'd be a completely different country, right? So like I'm I'm like having these revelations about business like in Geneva, in Milan, like, oh my God, like business is relationships and like who you know, like is so much more important than what you can do and like all this kind of stuff. I come back home, like forgetting how to speak English because I like my whole goal was to just come back speaking Spanish. <laughs> and I'm talking to a homie of mine from back from Bridgeport and he was just like, yo, like, remember you used to like make music? Like, can <laughs> can you do that anymore? You know what I mean? And I was like, probably, you know, but that's not a that's not a focus of mine. Like, I'm, you know, last semester of business school, I'm about to graduate. I had my my consultant job already lined up. I already interned there and they thought I, I'd be worthy enough for a full time. And I was like, bet, you know, again, little kid from the hood, about to work at this big forum, like, I right, whatever, like, let's try and make this happen. <laughs> about to get married, about to get like real money, healthcare, like no more ramen noodles. Like I'm, I'm ready for this, for this journey. And uh, he was like, yo, you should, you should try to rap, you know, just do it again. Like, just see what happens. And I was like, everything that I just said is the reason why I don't think I should rap. And he's like, actually everything that you said is the reason why you should, because it would bring a completely different perspective than what you normally hear in the game. I was like, okay, touche, you know, being unique. That's, that's always a, a, a thing of mine. But then I was like, yo, I don't even have a rap name no more. I had a different rap name, which, you know, if you did some Googles, you'll find it, but I don't feel like saying it. <laughs> I was like, I don't have a rap name. He was like, all right, well, what's your Instagram say? And my Instagram said, call me Ace. And he's like, boom, that's your rap name. Call me Ace. I was like, dang, like that's it's a little grammatically awkward. And he was like, so it's, <laughs> so it's a tribe called Quest. And I was like, dang, they're like one of the best groups of all time. <laughs> he was like, there you have it. So it like literally, so I was like, I bet, you know, he challenged me to write a song a week, was starting to write a song a week. Uh, and then, you know, recorded, found a way to record uh, at a nearby studio. I didn't have any equipment. Back in the day, I used to record myself, but I didn't have nothing. So I found a, uh, a spot because I wanted him to hear the music that I he challenged me to make. So I found a spot, um, started putting out the music, uh, shared it with a couple other people on campus in addition to him. And they were like, yo, like you, when when were you a rapper? You know what I mean? Like, this actually sounds good. There was another uh, classmate of mine who she used to rap back in South Korea. And I was like, yo, like, what if we made a song for Berkeley Haas? Uh, this is like in negotiations class too. It was me, her, a couple other of our, our friends. They're like, yo, we should make a song for Berkeley Haas. Da, 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 da. So we went to the studio that I had just been like figuring out. We, we used the Drake motto song, uh, the, the, um, you only live once, and we made a song called "You Only Haas Once," and that 
like, you know, people start flipping out. They're like, oh my gosh, like, this is so crazy. We make a music video. We start performing. We ended up doing like three, within like the four months left of graduating. Like, mind you, you know what I mean? Like, if I'm just thinking about it now, you know, like, my undergrad last semester was like the Snoop Dogg and getting the press and like all these different things that were happening around campus. It was almost like the same thing was happening, but from a completely different angle, from a completely different perspective. I wasn't trying to be a full-time artist this time. Uh, I was doing it because it was fun and because I could. And it ended up being like to this day, you know, Berkeley Haas uses that song as like part of their admissions, you know, and, and they're welcoming <laughs> new you know perspectives which i think is super dope that like it could have such an impact and you know people could be so entertained and encouraged and inspired by something that literally was you know made like in between classes just because we were like you know fighting senioritis you know <laughs> um and so with this happening it's like okay cool now i graduated now i found a studio now like people are calling me like oh like you can rap like you should keep doing this you know like now it's exposed it's no longer a secret and i'm also starting to like it again so over that summer before i started uh my actual job uh i went back to that studio uh i was gonna record some other stuff but then i i ran into uh this producer named sean t who's produced for some some Bay Area artists out here like Mac Dre, Rest in Peace, and uh, Mr. Fab, E-40, folks like that. I had no idea who he was. I was just like, yo, I'm just trying to, you know, record my music. But then after chatting with him and finding out, you know, who he was, and then for him to also be like, yo, you're a dope rapper. We should do something together. I was like, all right, cool. You know what I mean? And so that summer, I recorded Misinterpretations, just like all right there. Matter of fact, it was on my birthday just spent eight hours and recorded the whole EP. There's actually some extra songs that didn't even make it. And I was like, I bet I have this, I have this project. I don't really know how to like release it, but I'll figure it out. And that's how, like, I went into my consulting job with an album in the pocket, figuring out like, when am I going to release this? Because now I'm working 80 hour a week job, like an 80 hour a week job. You know what I mean? Like there's no time to like even breathe. <laughs> but like, I also want to rap now. Like now I'm addicted again, you know, mm -hmm. uh, positively addicted. And so, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting experience. I actually dropped the project in December. It was the, I was like, I have to drop this by the end of the year. That's like my new goal now, right? Like I started one song a week ending it like let me just drop a project and say that i did it um i was on an mna case i don't know if y'all know about merger and acquisition cases but they're like the most brutal uh consulting cases that i've ever known um i had to beg to leave early on a friday it was like 5 p.m <laughs> i was like i need to i need to like go to um to emeryville over near berkeley so I can have this release party that I'm like putting together myself. I had a homie at the time that um, went to that school. Uh, he had the, the, they had a stage and all that kind of stuff. It was free, free admissions. I told like a few people to come. I didn't think anybody was gonna come. Over a hundred people came, which for me at the time was a big deal. And um, had my first release party, dropped the project, probably had like 50 streams, but it was, it was a dope moment. It was a dope <laughs> moment. Um, and that's how I, that's how I began the the journey of juggling both music and uh, this corporate world. This is like the first time I've actually really like said this, but <laughs> I felt you needed the uh, the details. 
I envision this like Clark Kent moment where like you're leaving your job and the suit's coming off and you're switching literally, into it. <laughs> literally. No, you don't even understand. Like my now, now it's very much like, okay, I'm a rapper at the job. That was not it when I was a You're literally dressed up, suited up, and only the client matters. You know what I mean? So like yeah. no one, like, hey, like for me to even think how I would have told a partner that I was a rapper, I remember one partner found out and it was like this weird sense of like, I don't think he's happy about it. I think it looked like I'm using extra time that could have been given to the client. It was this weird like feeling, you know what I mean? And so like, not to say that they would not have cared or valued what I was doing, but just like, it's not the same, you know, the tech world definitely spoiled me in the sense that like, you know, I can dress like a rapper at the job, you know, like small things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was very much like, yo, all right, I'm suited up here. A lot of my like earlier pictures, like my headshots and stuff like that were like literally me with like a collared shirt. Cause that's like all I owned, you know what I mean? Like collared shirts and ties, like that's all I had. <laughs> <laughs> There's like no reason to like shop for anything else. Cause what time do I have to do anything else? You know? So yeah, it's very much like, all right, gotta pull off the the penny loafers and throw on some Tim's. Let's, let's have the show. <laughs> but fast forward a couple of years and uh, you're on billboard for R&B hip hop album sales. How was that moment for you? Yes, it's, uh, it was cool. <laughs> it was cool for sure. Uh, I, I saw it. I saw the news while I was at work. Go figure. Cause they let you know on a Tuesday, you know what I mean? So it's not yeah. like, <laughs> It's a weekend. I get to like revel in it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I think I was like on my way to a meeting or something like that. Um, but I got the email and it, it was pretty cool. I mean, I, I I feel like not a lot of time has passed, but a lot of time has passed simultaneously. I don't know what's supposed to be normal because like I don't really have a blueprint for what I'm doing. You know, again, John Legend used to be a consultant at BCG before he got signed to, you know, good music and all that stuff he did that for a year so for me i was like oh you know kind of like lauren hill right i was like all right i'm gonna do this for a year <laughs> now that i know that music is my thing and uh i'm gonna I'm make it i'm gonna make it to the big leagues because you know give me a year and uh i was consulting for two years and you know and facebook for two years and now i'm at youtube and so it's like okay that's no longer the blueprint either but i, I you know i've been booking my own shows and so to like headline my own shows i was like okay that's that's dope too, right? And that like kind of that was before airplane mode. It was just like things are starting to rise, things are starting to grow. So when the billboard thing happened, I kind of just did it to see if it could. You know, you know what I mean? It sounds like weird to say. I was like, yeah, like could it be possible? Every step of the way for these years have just been like me doing it. You know what I mean? Proactively. So I didn't whether or not it was gonna happen. I mean, I don't, I don't like if it didn't happen, I think everybody would have accepted it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, of course it didn't happen. <laughs> so I didn't really have anything to lose <laughs> except mm. pride and like who needs pride. Uh, so, yeah, I was like, all right, like maybe this is how long it was supposed to take for me to hit billboards. You know what I mean? Or like, like, OK, what's what's next? I don't know. It's, it's a weird I, it's, I don't know if I even described it well. But yeah, I think seeing that happen, I was like, all right, so like, what can someone tell me as far as like what I can and can't do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm creating the plane as I fly it, and 
and that's that's all I can do right now. You know, I don't have like a team of 50, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like managing my brand assets or anything like that, uploading my assets into the queues so that they can launch accordingly. And if the dates change that they're coordinating with the, the, the distributor to make sure that things show up when they're supposed to show up and all that, you know what I mean? Like, mm. that's, that's me. So uh, it is a it's another job, you know what yeah. I mean? But it's a job that I love. And it's a job that like, I'll put in hours to do and it feels like I put in a minute, you know, like last night I stayed up to 1am just making music. So yeah, it does definitely a lot. You gotta, gotta know when to, to chill, um, which is something that I continue to re re know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think at the same time, finding ways to be efficient with your time as, and that's, that for me is the biggest thing. Cause I've seen just over the past few years, like I'll try to work with some people and um, they just will like be in the studio and chill. And like that, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't, I can't just like, yeah, you know I mean, just sit here for hours until something comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's money. That's time. And time is way more valuable than money for me. So it's like, Fam, like, yeah, I'll I'll record a lot of my songs. I record in like five minutes. Yeah, you know I mean, like Damn. most of my songs are like one take because I have other things to do. Right? <laughs> like it's just, I man, listen. I there's this one example of this dude. I like asked him for a course, an eight bar course, well, nothing fancy. It took it took three months for him to get six bars out, and I like went to this dude's house at some point because I was like, fam, like I really want to work with you. And I watched them, you know what I mean? Toda, slur up, all that kind of stuff, only to get six out of the eight bars, ended up scrapping a whole song. I was like, this is not it, you know what I mean? So it's like, efficiency for me is is by far, um, you know, one of the skill sets I feel like I've been able to have as a result of, and then just also like, just in the environments that I'd be in, you know what I mean? Especially like consulting fam, like I was on some like, in two weeks from start to end, I needed a whole project done. You know what I mean? So like I had to be like this, like there was no time to waste. And so I'm thankful for like, you know, just the experiences that I've had in the corporate world because I transfer those over to the way that I even handle my music and um, think it, it helps for the better, you know? So speaking of like workflow, what made you decide to start uh, your label, Light Armor Music? And what, what benefits have you or even other artists drawn from it? Yeah, I, I largely just, you know, I went to business school, man. I'm a businessman. <laughs> <laughs> you got to you got to search yourself. You got to. And so, like, around the time that I was doing all this, uh, right before I graduated uh, B school, um, I was like, all right, well, if I'm going to do this music stuff, you know, what I mean, like I'm, I'm if I want to put my stuff out there, how do I go about it? Not just like, you know, there was a time like 15 years old, man, when I was making music, I was just sending the music to myself in an envelope and just having the the U- USPS like stamp it for me. You know what I mean? And just like mm-hmm. I wouldn't open it. That was copyright to me. Right. Sure. So a lot of the the behind the scenes for how to do music business was what I was actually fascinated about now. And I think that was really for me. When I was in college, it was just music, you know what I mean? And I put in my 10,000 hours as far as like making music, performing, all that type of stuff. So now for me to perform, it's like, yo, like I've had a mic in my hand since I was three years old. That for me is nothing. But the music business aspect of it, that was all brand new for me. Like, you know, what is an LLC? 
tax implications like oh publishing you know royalty publishing is different than the mechanical it's different from you know ma- like having masters and like all this kind of stuff i was like oh snap like this right here is what i did not know and with the the business mindset behind it i was like oh this is actually more important than making the music itself i know how to make a song like i said you know record a whole project in eight hours that part's easy the production aspect but how do you market it how do you distribute it how do you like legally make sure that like everything is set in stone like even back in the day like my name wasn't trademark right like just small stuff and so that's that's really what you know light armor music just uh really exemplifies the mindset that i brought into music coming in it this time around it's Mm. like i'm handling it like a business um it's fun i enjoy it but i'm also mindful of the importance of you know having your having your your papers right um understanding your data like all that stuff at at what point did you realize that understanding data might be valuable for your music well at the very beginning i mean you know again like business school like you know you 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 understand especially marketing you know what i mean like i i personally like i find marketing to be you know an essential an essential uh part of a business um because what you're doing is communicating the value of the business to the outside world and you have to do it in a way where they believe it um and like a product can exist and from a utility standpoint it could be the best product in the world but if no one knows about it like is it going to move forward um people have to stumble across it and when they stumble across it what is it that they see you know what's that image um how are they going to be convinced to try it even when they see it? Because people are so, especially in 2020, people are so bombarded with so much stuff on a daily basis. I can't even remember the stat of the number of brands that people see in just a daily basis. Why should somebody even say, yo, I want to listen to Call Me Ace? And so marketing has always been important. So how do you prove the ROI of marketing? That's always been like the biggest conundrum. And I think now with data and being able to track certain things that you put out and seeing the effects of, you know, you put out a link, how many people clicked it, you know, all that kind of stuff. You get to see like, oh, this moved the needle. This is moving us forward. This is proving the value. This is building our brand equity. This is enabling us to grow forward. Uh, Having that like conceptually, I always had it. Um, Putting it to work, it was literally day one. If you could boil down... um something for artists to take from the data that's being collected about them something for them some takeaway for artists to realize about that data i would say that uh we as artists have this image of ourselves that could be real uh data see data as the way to tell the story about yourself that you already believe that's what I would, that's how I would look at data mm. in, a, in a way that's ethical, you know, cause a lot of people try to fudge data. You don't need to do that. Um, but you know, if you, you know, if you believe that you can do a sellout concert, right? Like 
there's there's numbers of tickets to be sold for that. There's like, what's the size of the venue? It's what time is it? How many people were exposed to the link to even click on it, right? Like understanding that funnel between how many people were aware of the show and how many people are actually coming to the show, how many people have told the show, how many people are going to come back to your next show, like all those different things are data points. And so it's one thing to be like, yo, man, I could do any show. I could rock any show. It's another thing to just prove it, mm-hmm. right? And And... Data helps you prove that story. It helps you prove that narrative. Um, it helps to to build the credibility that you believe you deserve. So don't don't run away from it. Don't ignore it. Don't idle it. But, you know, just use it as part of your story. What are your kind of like day-to-day when it comes to like implementing like music analytics into your career? What does that look like? Um, you know, for, you know, a lot of indie artists who might be listening and, you know, they've got their Apple, you know, for artists and they've got their Spotify for artists, right? They got their Instagram analytics and they're like, wow, all these charts are really pretty. I don't know what to do from here. Like, well, how do you, <laughs> can you maybe tell maybe a short story about like how you've maybe took something and, you know, made it work for you? Yeah, no, nah, definitely. I mean, it's, man, I do, I, I love a pretty chart. <laughs> that's the, that's the, that's the consultant side of me. But, um, you know, I think of uh, I studied I studied the the billboard like methodology for how songs chart and do X and Y and Z and all the different data points that they put in there. I don't know if folks are that are listening are familiar with Next Big Sound, you know, Pandora's, uh, but that's like a key metric that's used in the in the computing process it was like fam i'm not even on pandora i should i should get on pandora (laughs) i should i should my music should be on pandora and i should understand how to get the metrics in pandora to grow because that will help this stuff right and so okay boom my music's in pandora they have this like methodology behind like is this artist uh, um uh, an established artist or is it an undiscovered artist or is it an epic artist? I was very much undiscovered at the time. I was like, huh, <laughs> how can I get at least promising, right? And and seeing the different metrics of like, oh, okay, there's like the Pandora streams. That's dope. And seeing like how my music, um, how people are discovering my music from what uh, stations being like, okay, well then those are the kind of stations, you know, if it's like the Eminem radio, right. Or whatever, like that should be a metric that I'm using in things like my YouTube videos and my IG targeting, um, you know, folks that like music like this. So that way it can grow for whoever uses Pandora because people still do, um, grow the Pandora streams. Right. They also look at like Twitter mentions and retweets and stuff like that. It's like, oh, hey, like I should use Twitter more, right? I should grow my Twitter base. I should grow my Facebook. Oh, wow. Like they look at Wikipedia's like, thankfully now I have a Wikipedia page, you know, hitting the billboard chart. So people like look up, call me ace and they'll find a Wikipedia page like that then gets attributed to the Pinterest, right? So now I'm promising, you know what I mean? Like the the streams have been going up, the views have been going up, like all this is. So now I'm a promising artist. Okay, dope. Now how do I get to establish? Right? Like this is that's just a, a small example, right? Of how I'm seeing these different data points. I'm seeing the numbers, but it's more like, okay, what are they trying to do? Right? Like what is the purpose, and how can I figure out how the the tool works so that I can 
use what I know in order to grow in the way that I want to grow. Um, you know, there's, there's things like, um, understanding who, who in my audience speaks Spanish versus English. Um, you know, I, I know how to speak Spanish, like I already said. And so, you know, working with artists that also speak Spanish, growing that base, speaking to, to those audiences, right? So then now I'm increasing the amount of number of people that speak Spanish on my IG page, you know, and then like things like that. That's, that's kind of how I, I, I see it. I see where it is. I see what I want to do with it. And then I just test it out. Will it, will it work? <laughs> and then, you know, whether it does or doesn't, like there's always something that you can learn from it. So what I love about the way you put that, Ace, is um, kind of goes back to two things you said earlier in this conversation is, you know, you made this really beautiful analogy about building a plane as you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to that story of like, you know, using your data, uh, you can really see that kind of step by step. So that's the first thing. And the second thing I think that's really awesome is how you mentioned earlier about um, doing it in an ethical way. Because I think some people will get to that first part, but then they'll, they'll go to the dark side, if you will, and then you know try to buy followers or try to you know buy fan engagement, of which there are many opportunities if you just, if you just Google it. And it's cool that you know to, to get your Twitter on, like that is a hustle. That's almost like another part-time job to build those numbers in a, in a real authentic way, you know, to really comment and retweet and, and do that. So I think that's something that should be pointed out too, and I think it's dope. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you calling that out. And I mean, you know, if if you have a bunch of fake followers that don't interact with your content, then you obliterate your engagement rate. And your engagement rate is probably like the most valuable asset you have on your social media platforms. And so, you know, my my following my following is like right now you know, under 3000, like, I think it's like 2,900 or something like that. Um, but the engagement rate goes from like 7% on an average day to like 20, 25% if I'm doing something super dope and like kind of in that 10, 15% is like a decent sweet spot for me. Mm -hmm. Um, that's for a, for a, for a male social media account that's not half naked all the time, that's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big deal to me, <laughs> according to the things that I've researched. So I'm like, fam, like I'd rather that, right? And you know, when you leverage these, when you understand how these tools work and you leverage the new features as they come and all that kind of stuff, then you're gonna increase engagement, you're gonna increase the your exposure on the Explorer page, and then more people are gonna find you when you put out ads that people actually engage with then they're going to want to follow you more like it it all adds up there's a way to do it where it's like fam like i don't want to look popping i want to be popping (laughs) yeah that's great oh man that's a great yeah totally and it'd be wild too because i'd be getting these you know people that quote unquote look popping in my dms asking me how i'm doing what i'm doing and i was just like fam like this is it's ironic. It, you know what I mean? And yeah. so, yeah, just to double tap on what you're saying, man, like don't be nobody but you and just learn how it goes and grow accordingly. Well, that's the perfect segue to our uh, speed round. Which, um, so we went deep into the chart metric mainframe and we dug up some data on your artist profile. Dang. Uh-huh. So we're gonna we're gonna do a an intentionally difficult quiz 
for you to see how well you know your own data. Let's get it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be mad if I fail, yeah? Oh, no, no. We made it really hard on purpose. All right, Don't great. worry. Great. <clears throat> no, no checking stats on your phone. It's not allowed. <laughs> no, look, 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 you can see my hands. You can see my hands. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, so U.S. cities comprise your top 10 cities by Spotify monthly listeners. What European city is number 11? Is it A, Copenhagen, <laughs> E, Paris, yeah. C, London, or D, Helsinki? Is it Paris? <laughs> oh, dang. It's Copenhagen. Copenhagen. Shout yeah. out to Copenhagen. I've hey. been there once. Yeah, 1.1%. Dang. I should focus. I should focus a little a little more Denmark advertising. There you go. <laughs> Great city. Great Do some city. Google translates. Yo, I, I have a I have a fan from Russia apparently that speaks to me in Russian. And the only way I know it's Russian is because I copied whatever they said. I thought it was winged it. And then no offense. Winged it. And then I and then I went to Google Trans. I thought it was like a bot, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> And so then I like translated it and it was like, yo, dope music, bro. And I was like, okay, okay. It sounds like a little, <laughs> sounds like some fan tip. <laughs> wait, wait, Google Translate can translate dope from in Russian to English? It, it, That's it was awesome. Like, it, was like, it was like cool. I think it was like cool stuff, bro, or whatever. But you know what <laughs> I mean? Great. Like, I'm sure, oh, I'm sure it was probably like dope or whatever. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great, though. Yeah, um, all right, here we go. Here we go. Uh, number two. Uh, so now you're currently based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Is that correct? Very true. All right. So, what part of the Bay Area has the highest percentage of your Instagram followers? Okay. So, we've got A, San Francisco, B, Oakland, C, Berkeley, where you got your MBA, of course, and then D, Menlo Park, where you used to work at Facebook. It's not Menlo Park. Don't don't play with me. Uh, <laughs> it's either Berkeley or Oakland. Hold up. Uh, is it Berkeley? No, it's Oakland. Neither. It's A. It's San Francisco. Yeah. Dang. So eight eight point three percent of your Instagram followership is based there. Oakland's close though. It's eight point two. Ah, Real close. SF yeah. must have. Yeah. 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 But uh, but they're both good. So I mean, that's those are good things. Yeah. Yeah, and isn't it like the Bay Area? Like, if you add up all these different cities, then it's more than New York. Like, New York is up there and, as far like. Instagram uh, users or just general population? In, in, Instagram users specifically. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, never mind. I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you I probably know. know. You probably yeah, know. No, no, exactly. Is that, so it's IG and then it's, um, or, sorry, in IG there's New York and then there's like three different cities in the Bay that equal like either the same as New York or a little bit more. But this is info for me when I- <laughs> Got you, got you, got you. Sales and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Right on, on data. Jason, I think you should do this next one too. Right, I, I don't know any of these people. So. Uh, this is this is my day. This is my day. Okay. So <laughs> what pop chart topping act from the nineteen nineties, okay, is a current follower of your Instagram handle? Oh dang. A Crystal Waters. Okay. B CNC Music Factory. C CC Peniston. D Technotronic. It's CC. Yeah, <laughs> I met CC before. She's so dope. Shout out to CC Peniston. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So, is that a show? I was curious if there's a story behind this. I uh, so I went to the ASCAP conference in like 2017 uh-huh. uh, before uh, social distancing, and 
I got to meet her and give her flowers. And she also, she also um, saw me perform. I had a show out there in Hollywood. And so she was yeah. like, oh, like, dope, you know? And then, yeah, we just, there it is. For all the youngins <laughs> out there, she put out a hit called Finally. It dropped in 92. Is a dope song. You can have it in your head. There you go. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right, number three. What blues rock band are you closest to in terms of Spotify monthly listeners? That's crazy. Is it A, <laughs> Tedeschi Trucks Band, yeah. B, John Mayer Trio, okay, C, BB King Blues Band, or D, Derek and the Dominoes? Hey, did you do D, Derek and the Dominoes for alliteration's sake? That's no. going to be that's why I'm not choosing Derek. Okay. That was a coincidence. Uh, yeah, okay, cool. He's call it what you want. And then BB King sounds a little too go okay, I don't want to do those two. What, what were the other two? Uh Tedeschi Trucks Band or John Mayer Trio. I feel like John Mayer Trio is not real. So I'm gonna go with the, the trucks. And, oh <laughs> John Mayer Trio. Yeah. yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. So so uh, last time we checked, it was like 132,044 for John Mayer Trio, Spotify Monthly Listeners, and you were 17 less at 132,027. So you got to find those 17 people and you got to convert them. And y'all got to, yeah, throw back in uh, my music in your playlist. <laughs> All right. Uh, keeping it moving. Okay. So uh, what day did you have your highest Wikipedia view count? Oh, that I don't Four choices. We got we got February twenty first. Guys, you're bringing me back to like my days in school. Where <laughs> this is how I like barely made it through school. <laughs> like, I'm not a test taker, yo. I'm a writer. I write. <laughs> Give me a prompt. <laughs> Give me some words. All right, let's go. I got this. Oh, I'm giving you. I'm giving you more. They're they're in the form of dates. Uh, January fifteenth. Oh yeah, for sure. April second, and then April seventeenth. All from twenty twenty, obviously. So well, we got. Okay. Basically, we'll go in order. We'll go January 15th, February 21st, April 2nd, April 17th. April 1st. Oh, so close. April 17th. Oh, dang. Yeah. Do you have any idea why? Was it, is, is this related really to a release? Yeah. So I had, I had a couple. Um, so April was kind of fun. I had a couple speaking engagements. I had one speaking engagement around April 1st, but then I also had another one uh, two weeks after. Um, but then I also had, um, uh, uh, a couple like notes around music, like music was increasing. Um, started like a couple of my songs went past a hundred thousand. Um, so there was just a lot that I was sharing around the April time. I thought I did it at the beginning. Um, but sounds like it was more in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, man. That's cool to have that story and, and see that in the in the numbers. It's neat. Yeah, yeah. No, it's super dope. All right. So, what 2019 release gave you the biggest lift in YouTube channel views? Was it A, Double Dutch, B, Airplane Mode, C, 5.15 a.m., or D, Marvelous? Oh, it's definitely 5.15. I like, no. Oh, <laughs> 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 dang! Wait, Airplane Mode. Wait, say that again? <laughs> Airplane Mode. Yeah, I didn't hear the question. What'd you say? What 2019 release gave you the biggest dang, lift in YouTube? That's that's a trick. Okay, so because I I heard airplane mode, I was thinking the song. Oh, a release. Well, then of course it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
515 was the single that I pushed to push and promote airplane mode. We'll give it to you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I was like, I can't be one for six. That's that's the opposite of my name. All right. We got any more? I'm pretty sure I can end this with 100. All right. Last one. Um, What 2020 release or releases helped you break 177,000 YouTube channel views this year? Was it A, Gold Cuffs, B, Resume, C, Facebook, D, Working From Home, or E, All of the Above? It's All of the Above. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) The layup. A layup. Yeah, there's a layup. There's a layup. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I uh, that's great. <laughs> I feel like I have to go back and like research myself. Like, dang it, what? A-. You know, like, have you ever in your household like come home with a ninety five percent, and your parents ask why you didn't get a hundred, and you got to set that five percent? That's how I feel. Except the five percent was really like a ninety five percent. This was fun. This is fun. <laughs> awesome, man. Um. Well, cool. Thanks so much for chatting with us today, Ace. Is there a way for people to contact you if they want to get in touch? Yeah, no, 100%. Um, callmeace.com. Uh, very simple. If you want to, I, I, I reach out to folks weekly, share advice and tips on how to make stuff happen, um, help out in any way I can. Uh, so if you want to join those weekly digests, uh, you can go to enroll, E-N-R-O-O-L dot callmeace.com and, and join. Uh, also, IG, call me Ace legit. Uh, I made it <laughs> before all this happened. I was just like, yeah, I'm legit. Um, and yeah, yo, music everywhere, Spotify, Apple Music, title, all that. Definitely hit your boy with a follow and a subscribe. Let me know if you like it. If you don't like it, let me know too. Uh, I take take constructive criticism all around. Bet. Boom. Nah, it's dope, yo. I appreciate y'all for having me. This is really fun. Y'all are some cool peoples, and I really love what y'all do. Especially, uh, we don't we don't get enough of uh, music data conversations. Uh, yeah. And it's very needed. So I appreciate everything y'all do. Cool. Thanks for being here, man. This was super informative. Word. How Music Charts is written and produced by Jason Hoven and Rucker Rosenborg of Chartmetric. Special thanks to Call Me Ace. Free Chartmetric accounts are available at chartmetric.com and article links and show notes are always at podcast.chartmetric.com. That's it for Season 2, Episode 14 of How Music Charts. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.